0: be with you. No. Also with you. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So I partially said the Lord be with you just to make sure everyone was awake and paying attention. Our voices are all working today because I'm going to do something a little unusual for an Episcopal sermon, which is I'm going to ask you in a few moments to it's to speak back to me. So I know we don't really have much of a tradition that like the Baptists do, where people say amen and such during the sermon, but we'll get there. (laughs) I know you can speak, though. I heard it. I heard you say, and also with you. So to start with, let's talk about today being Christ the King Sunday. Now, we don't really talk a whole lot in our culture about kings you know when i think king i don't know about you i kind of see something sort of a sepia toned image uh from yesteryear i think didn't we fought a war not to have those anymore and so this may not be the most current of metaphors but we do have rulers this is not a thing that we've been able to get rid of just because we don't have kings anymore So sometimes this Sunday is called, in the Episcopal Church and other Protestant denominations, sometimes it's called the Reign of Christ Sunday, to try to move the metaphor away from monarchs in particular and just thinking about Christ's rule and reign. I think of this great um, CD I love called Mermaid Avenue, where Billy Bragg and Wilco have taken a number of old, unrecorded Arlo Guthrie songs and set them to music And they have a song on there that updates the image called Jesus Christ for President. And it's this great, I think it was actually written by Arlo Guthrie probably in the 40s, maybe 30s. And it imagines Christ being lifted up by the American people as their choice for president. And it kind of updates the image. So let's think about rule and rulers and leaders instead of kings for just a minute. This is the audience participation part of the you remember, you're a congregation, not an audience, so we have voices. So when you think of leaders or rulers today, what kind of images and what kind of adjectives spring to mind? What does that look like to you, rulers or leaders? Narcissists? Okay. All right. Sometimes. It's, yeah, sometimes that can be true, can't it? That wasn't a per- personal comment toward me, was it? All right. What else? What else springs to mind when you think of rulers or leaders? Strong. strong. I heard the did I hear the word strong? Okay. Role models? Is that yeah? What else? Leader. Leaders? Yeah. And what do you think of when you think of a leader? What do you see in your mind's eye?
1: Well, I think of a servant leader.
0: A servant leader. Okay. So we Christians might think of a servant leader. What else? Power. Okay, someone who wields power. And do they look like anything? Do you have one in mind? Women, Women, yes. And hey, we're looking at Luke's gospel right now. Luke has a lot of important women as role models and with speaking parts in his gospel who are significant, more so than some of the other gospels. A couple more, then I'll let us off the hook. Teachers. Teachers, okay. Now, think about this. What is a... So these are adjectives, so these are qualities or attributes that we think of leaders possibly possessing or people who might be leaders. If you kind of close your eyes and imagine what a leader looks like, what do you see? Do you see a particular kind of person or a particular way they dress or look? Anything in mind for that? What is what's that? A suit, yeah. Uh, that was what I thought. Sometimes when I think of a leader today, like in American culture, I look at—I I picture somebody that looks an awful lot like a board executive, um, kind of, right, with a suit and looking good. Um, what else might we see in our mind's eye? What does a leader literally look like to us? They might look Anglo-American. Is that what you said? Angelo-American. What's that? Sorry. Oh, oh, like the Chancellor of Germany, right. Yeah. Okay. So when I think of, yeah, when I I picture that, I kind of see someone maybe dressed up in a suit, looking kind of put together. um, Or maybe I see someone decorated with military honors, you know, with the epaulettes and the medals. These are some images that come to mind for me and perhaps for others in our culture when I just sort of picture a generic modern ruler. So today, being Christ the King or Reign of Christ Sunday, we get a couple of readings that bring us all the way back to imagery that ancient people thought of when they thought of a king. And so for the ancient Israelites, one thing that they often thought of was a shepherd. So that's what we get in our reading from the prophet Jeremiah. We see a shepherd. Now, um, in Israel, ancient Israel throughout the Hebrew Bible was often thought of as a flock. And so the other nations were sometimes conceptualized as predators or wolves who might want to prey on this flock. And so this flock therefore needed someone to lead over them and protect them. So kind of the archetypal king of Israel, the shepherd, is King David. He was himself, in fact, a shepherd before becoming a king. So that kind of feeds into this image. But the image of a king as a shepherd is common to all the ancient Near Eastern religions. Not only the Israelites, but the Canaanites and peoples that lived in Tyre and Sidon and surrounding people, the Moabites and Edomites, all of them conceptualized kings as shepherds. Now, if you're a sheep among a flock of sheep and you think of the other nations as wolves, you want someone strong to protect you. I I think I heard the word strong come up even today for when we think of rulers. You want... If they're wolves, you want your king to be the biggest, baddest wolf on the block who can protect your flock from the others. And David was definitely that. So we hear in Jeremiah, we hear this image of God speaking to the shepherds, the kings, that is, the kings of his people. But he has a bit of a harsh word for them. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and driven them away, and you have not attended to them. And so God threatens, so I am going to attend to you, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. In the Hebrew Bible, part of this metaphor of God as a shepherd, or of of shepherds as kings, is that above all these individual earthly shepherds who rule the people is God as their overarching shepherd, the, the shepherd of shepherds, if you will. And so that individual rulers, while they're shepherding Israel, had better watch out because they're answerable to the great shepherd above them, God. And so the prophets often have this motif of God having to step in and solve it when the human shepherds aren't doing what they're supposed to. God goes on to promise in this Jeremiah passage, I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. And then we hear about who this shepherd is going to be a little more specifically. The days are coming, says the Lord, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So we're all the way back then to the image of David as the shepherd, as the king, the great archetypal good king of Israel. We hear that the good shepherd that, G- that God is going to call will be from the line of David and he will real- deal with the people with justice and righteousness, unlike the way the current kings in Jeremiah's day, he says, are ruling over them. This whole passage of Jeremiah is part of a long sweep of chapters. Uh, Chapters 21 through 23 uh, deal with themes of kings and criticism of the way the kings in Jeremiah's day toward the tail end of the kingdom of Judah, just before the Babylonians conquer them and destroy the kingdom, the way these kings at the tail end of the kingdom of Judah are behaving. And Jeremiah condemns them in pretty harsh terms. And this is explicitly about the kings, not just kind of generic shepherds. In chapter 22, at the beginning of that chapter, we hear Jeremiah say, when God sends Jeremiah to the actual palace of the king to announce, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, sitting on the throne of David, and you and your servants and the people who enter these gates, this is what the Lord says. Act with justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor anyone who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the orphan, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. But if you do not listen to these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall stand in ruins. So imagine somebody taking up a bullhorn, marching to the, uh, you know, the capital of Austin, down to that beautiful uh, sort of pink granite building and just shouting uh, about all the bloodshed happening within that building. How long do you think it would take them if they didn't have a permit to get arrested? (laughs) Or imagine someone marching on down to the White House with a bullhorn and shouting something about, you know, injustice or innocent blood. I don't think it would take very long for them to end up in jail. And this is exactly what happens to Jeremiah. You go to the king's palace... And you say these things, well, you're not going to, they're going to throw you in a well. They literally threw Jeremiah in a well for a while, a dry well, to figure out what to do with him. And he was in and out of jail a couple of times. Jeremiah later in that same chapter, and just before this passage, says, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor work for nothing and does not give them their wages, who says, I will build up a spacious house for myself with large upper rooms, who cuts windows for it, panels it with cedar, and paints it red. He goes on to ask, Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? He's getting to the heart of what it means to be a king, or what it means to be a ruler. He's condemning those who are currently reigning over the people of Judah because they're thinking about themselves at the expense of everyone around them. This same motif, Israel as shepherd, and sometimes those human shepherds, I mean, Israel as sheep, and sometimes those human shepherds over them don't do what God, the great shepherd, above all, would like them to do, shows up in various other places in the Hebrew Bible. So Ezekiel develops this metaphor. God as the true shepherd, to whom all human shepherds answer. He tells Ezekiel, mortal, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Shouldn't shepherds feed the sheep? But you eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the lambs. But you you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured or brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost. But with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And scattered, they became food for wild animals. This motif, kings are shepherds of their people, allows these Israelite prophets a way to critique the reign of various individual rulers and the way they've been treating their people over time. And it allows them to imagine with God as the great shepherd above them, a power that criticizes and doesn't abide by the way they're treating or mistreating their people. Jeremiah, just before the passage we have here, invites us to think, what does it mean to be a king? Does it mean you have a large house with a second story with spacious rooms and large windows, paneled in cedar and painted red? Is that what it means to be a king? Well, we Christians this Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, are invited to think about our King, the one we call King and Good Shepherd, Jesus. And so on this year, year C, on each one of the three liturgical years of our lectionary, we follow one gospel, one of the three synoptic gospels, straight through the year, and then we pepper it with John here and there, just for flavor. And so this year we've been following along the gospel of Luke with his special concern he has for the downtrodden and the unappreciated of society, for anyone whose society often kind of ignores or doesn't look at. Luke has way more of an interest in women characters in his gospel who have large speaking roles than any other evangelist. Except maybe John. Uh, Jesus' discussion with the Samaritan woman in John is the longest single discussion he has with any in- character in any gospel. Luke is interested in the poor and with those who are unemployed or those who are uh, sick in some way that makes society ignore them. Also in tax collectors and others ostracized by society because they're considered unclean. And so today, as we come to Christ the King Sunday in year C, following the Gospel of Luke, we find our King. And where do we find him? We find him enthroned, as it were, upon a cross, being killed. We find those who were actually accounted as rulers scoffing at him down below. And up there, we got to admit, Jesus looks nothing like a David, like that shepherd of Israel, that king for whom they were waiting. And so for Jesus, Messiah and king, these are sarcastic insults hurled at him by the leaders standing down below, or by soldiers, some of whom had been there and took part in actually crucifying him so think about that too the king when i think king when i think ruler even today they're the one who has the power to wield force not the one on the receiving end but instead of being able to order soldiers around jesus is mocked by soldiers who say sure if you are the king of the jews come on down In Luke's version of the crucifixion, Luke, with his concern for the downtrodden and underappreciated, has a scene particular to his gospel alone where Jesus speaks to two bandits who are crucified on his right and on his left. And the verb, not the verb, the noun used there in the Greek for bandit, this can mean thief, bandit, highwayman. It can also mean revolutionary or rebel. And so bandit could have a political as well as just sort of a criminal undertone to it. Well, one of those bandits also mocks this supposed king. If you are the Messiah, what are you doing? Take us down with you. The other bandit asks Jesus, when you do come into your glory, remember me. And Jesus promises him a criminal, in fact, a self-avowed criminal who's admitted I was guilty of the thing I was crucified for, you will be with me today in heaven. And this is a promise the likes of which Jesus doesn't make to any respectable person anywhere in the Gospels, but to a criminal. Christ the King's Sunday on year C confronts us with this figure up on the cross who we call a king. And I think we have to admit that Jesus is a different kind of king or a different kind of leader or ruler uh, than anything we conceptualize in any other sphere of our life. You know, to the extent that we expect Jesus to be a king like we think of kings usually, that we expect Jesus to be a king like any other ruler, only bigger, badder, and perhaps on our side, then the metaphor is kind of broken. The metaphor might cause us to expect something that is not at all what Jesus is up to. But to the extent that we understand Jesus to represent a different kind of ruler, this can offer us a new vision of what rule ought to look like. If Jesus is our king different than any king we've seen before, this might suggest to us that maybe kings ought to be different too. Or maybe rule ought to look different than we often expect. This metaphor offers us, as it offered the prophets before Jesus, a critical word to those who rule, that they ought to look to God above them as the source of their power. Let us look with expectation towards the coming of our king as we move out of year C back into year A, at the beginning of a new church year, Advent, that season of expectation. During Advent, we look for the coming of our king, and we look both back in time, thinking about his coming into the world, to be born and live among us, but we look forward in time too, awaiting his second coming. And let us remember that we are awaiting a king unlike any other we've ever conceived of. Jesus as our king, Jesus as the shepherd of the flock, is not just the biggest, baddest wolf in the neighborhood, but on our side. But Jesus comes as we see him today, more like this. He comes as a lamb, one who offers himself, a ruler who gives of himself so that we can be free and we can be saved. As we await that king, let us wonder what human authority and human rule might look like if we lived and reigned the way he does. Amen.
1: Please stand as you're able and join me as we say the Nicene Creed together. <clears throat> we believe in one Our God, God the maker of the Almighty, the maker Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Who With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church.
0: We acknowledge one
1: baptism for forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The prayers of the people will be guided from Form 6, found on page 10 of your bulletin. We will read these prayers responsively. You'll find your part in bold letters. In peace, we pray to you, Lord God, for all people in their daily life and work, For Donald, our president, Greg, our governor, for this community, the nation, and the world. For all the work of justice, freedom, and peace. For the just and proper use of your creation. For the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression. <clears throat> for members and loved ones serving our country, especially Amos, Isabel. Philip, Scott, Brian, Russell, Travis, Jacob, Christine.